Jason. Today's episode of the Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is brought to the good people by Budget Blinds. Budget Blinds! Did you know? Did I know? Budget Blinds is your home for enlightened style shades. They are all hail, our robot shade overlords. I feel like I need to, you know, some kind of sane all hail thing. No, we're good. We're fine. I would say this. Look. I need to show my loyalty. Proper. Well, we all know. We keep making this ad. We know. They know how loyal we are to them and how loyal they are to us. But also, and I think more importantly, how dedicated they are to giving people the highest quality, like blinds, window treatments, home deck, interior decoration stuff, you name it. They're going to be the people that can help you get from where you are to where you want to be through the security, the ease of access, the fun tech parts, all of those things about your Enlightened Style Shades. And they've been doing it right in our community for 20 years, Jason. Happy birthday. Happy birthday to our friends at Budget Blinds. And Jason, I got something else. What's that? Do you know? Where you can go to meet our robot shade overlords? I believe that they have a store right in the heart of downtown Lee Summit. So go see our friends. Tell them Jason and Nick sent you. The Lee Summit Town Hall podcast is also brought to the good people by Ask Kathy of Keller Williams Realty, another local company celebrating 20 years of service. This is our, maybe, is this our standard that we have to, everybody has to reach to be able to get into the podcast other than, you know, like pay us money, uh, is, uh, is yeah. to, to be, to get the advertising. They've got to be 20. They got to be legit and have to be here for 20 years. And Kathy, I don't have the highest. Day. Wait, at Kelly no, yeah, Williams Re- Realty is that level of legit 20 years of serving people look through the ups and downs. And there have been some downs in the market over the last 20 years. I think we can all refer to the 2008 time frame when everything was a disaster. She was here then she helped people then she's helping people now when the market is hot and maybe even starting to come off of the super hot, but it's still a great time to visit our friends at ask Kathy. If you, if you are ready to buy or sell a home here in Lee summit, they are the ones to go to. All you got to do, Jason, tell them Jason Nick's saying it. We are here with Shelby Finley, the program manager of Access Crisis and Outreach with Rediscover, and Kirsty Millar, the program manager of Suicide Prevention, also with Rediscover. Welcome to you both, and welcome back, Kirsty. This is the first time that we have had you in person. Yep. All of our prior. It's well, kind of weird. Actually, I guess no. Like, we had one like a million years ago. I kind of want to turn my camera and just put her on like, the screen. It wasn't this fancy. <laughs> the last no, we were in a, a law office conference room. But I it mean, was. like the first time we've had you in the studio here with that the last couple of years for whatever reason. What was that? Why? Why was that, Nick? I, I don't know, but it ruined everything. COVID. Oh, I COVID. believe it ruined that's everything. everything. That's what uh, it was. We, we've only had you virtually, but now we have you here in person. Very excited to see you both. We have a couple of things. Uh, Nick and I haven't had a, a, a conversation about mental health. Um, well, except for our own declining mental health. Uh, we talk about that all the time, but on the podcast. Um, in quite some time, we are overdue. And there's like news in the universe that has happened <laughs> in the realm of mental health. To be fair, it's old news. It's old news, but we're getting, we, we're there now. It's news to us, <laughs> it's right? It's not old, old news. It's, it's really still, a month old. Right, see? See, I was correct. I'm sticking my tongue out, which yeah. is great on a podcast. That was, that was really good audio. Yeah. Um, all right. So we're going to we're gonna start. We have a couple of them. It is uh, suicide. September has been um, and will continue to be for a few more days. Uh, suicide prevention month. But uh, most importantly, first, I'll say first, not most importantly. First, we want to talk about 988. 
eight. Um, it's a new three-digit phone number that you can call um, that goes uh, it deals with mental health, and we're going to get more details as to what it is and what it isn't and how it relates to the other three-digit numbers that you can dial to get immediate help. And So, Shelby, I'm going to start with you. Yes. How are you, by I'm the way? Good. Welcome yes. to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to have your uh, – let's, let's start with the easy question. What is 988? Yeah, so 988 is basically just like the National Suicide Prevention Line, but they realized nobody could remember that long 888 number. They even, like, two years ago had a catchy summer song that came out that was, had, like, the title of the song was the 888 number, and no one could remember it. So they decided nationwide we needed a shorter number so people could remember it in crisis. And they also marketed it as a crisis, and like, a crisis line, not suicide line. So anyone can call it, whether it's them or a loved one in a mental health crisis, rather than feeling suicidal. So how how yeah. important is it to have that distinction that it's for anything? Huge, because I think people think I only call up if I'm suicidal, but mental health is a spectrum. Like you could be on any side of it without having to be suicidal. And I think when he, people hear suicide, they think, oh, I'm going to go, be hospitalized. They're going to send the police after me, so I don't want to call any type of number. And that's simply not the case. There's just when you call 988 in your area, you should be able to get connected to a mental health provider who just wants to help you in that moment and help you regulate in that moment so you can stay within your own environment. And you, and you said that was for, it can be family members too, loved ones. Yeah. It doesn't have to be the person in crisis. Absolutely. It's, and it's just for anyone, it's a good way to find resources for mental health because even as a mental health provider, it's hard to navigate this field. It's hard to know, like, who are my providers? Who takes my insurance? Where do I start? Am, is this normal? Is this not normal? Should I need therapy? Do I not need therapy? What are my resources? How do you help a loved one who's refusing to get help? but they're deteriorating because their mental health is not w well. So it's just a really good way to get connected with those resources um, in your community. So define, I guess, as best you can, define crisis. Um, I think that's a, I, I, one of the things I would imagine people go into is like you, you even alluded to this is like, when is the right time to call for help, right? And so I, obviously crisis is something that can be a very broad and, and whole thing, but like kind of define where that is, like where it starts, I guess, is that, that question. When do you, when should someone, if they are feeling whatever the range of feelings are where they feel like they might need help, when, what, what's a good point for them to make that call? You know, I think the next step after taking it from a suicide line to a crisis line is to call it a support line. Because I think at any point when you're ready to reach out to somebody, you should start calling. And then it's just a very simple way to start calling. Um, in terms of feeling in a crisis, that's different for everybody. You know, what is your level of, I'm okay, I can handle this, to I really need to reach out to somebody. And life can turn on us, and it could be an event that sparks a crisis, or it could just be I'm continuing to not feel well, and I do need to reach out to somebody. So I think at that point when you're ready to reach out to somebody, that's when you call 988. I, I like that answer because I'm uh, now I'm wondering how many people actually know that difference, like between I feel I feel kind of bad, I think I might need help to, you know, when, when does it cross the line and become crisis mode? Because I think, you know, we, we put crisis mode, at, you know, on a scale of 1 to 10, that's like 12, right? Right. When you think crisis, but how do you know? Yeah. I mean, obviously, crisis for me, high severity, prioritizing crisis, anyone that is questioning whether they should take their own life or not, whether they're questioning if they should be here, hopelessness is a huge point of crisis, and what that looks for everyone is different. That's when I think we need to really have that intervention and start talking to somebody. When you're starting to feel hopeless, when every day you're just talking neg negatively to yourself, um, I think that's when you really need to have someone else to jump in and say, this is not normal, this is not okay, but there's help for you. I think Shelby's point, too, that when you're ready to reach out, reach out. 
we don't determine what's a crisis. 988's not going to be like, well, this isn't a crisis. See you later, right? Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, I, I've just had this this image now in my, a very dumb image in my head of like, no, let's not get enough click. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> and so I think we could define crisis, but also I think I, not that you asked for my answer, but I would have defined crisis the same way. I don't, I think it's different per person. Well, Even suicide is on a spectrum. Suicidality is on a spectrum. And for one person, thoughts alone can be high crisis. And for another person, that's baseline. So I think if you're ready to reach out, reach out. The other caveat that's really cool about 988 that probably Shelby was going to get to, but I'll throw it in there. If you have, so far, they don't have quite the technology of 911, where 911 does it based off your, your physical location and your phone and all the fancy things. 988 for now goes off of area code. So if it's 816 or 913, I believe, if you call 988, you're getting a local crisis line. Missouri, we partner, Rediscover partners with them. It's it, They're literally off of state line. Probably most of them are virtual at this point, but the point is they're local licensed providers who know local resources. So keeping that in mind is also a really cool thing because I have an out-of-state area code. My personal number is from the state I'm from. So if I call that, I'm initially going to potentially get routed to their crisis line first, but I can say, hey, I'm physically in Kansas City, and they can help me get connected to a Kansas City line. I, I think that leads to, to, to a good thing. I'm sure everybody wants to know, so what happens? Yeah. What happens when I call this number, whether whether I'm the I'm the one seeking help or I'm seeking help for for myself and a loved one? What What's it like? I'm so glad you asked that because a lot of people still think, oh, if I call this, it's like 911. They're going to send police out to me. They're going to instantly send me to the hospital, and that's just simply not the case. So every area is different, but in the Kansas City metro area, if you call 988, you actually get connected to our third party that we partner with, um, and they are um, a facility that's a call center that is just completely filled with community or um licensed professionals for mental health. So they call and they have, you know, they go through what's going on, tell me what's happening, and they really do try to de-escalate you in that moment, give you some coping skills, give you some resources, and see if a phone call is just really what you need. Um, if they, if you need more, then they will try to give more. It's literally almost, I wouldn't say it's a therapy session, but it's close to it. It's just crisis de-escalation to get you to feel better. Or if you're asking for resources, they are prepared. I mean, they give me resources daily, uh, things in the community that they, the person can reach out to um so really it's just somebody who's there just wanting to talk to you they are a licensed professional though um or at least a master's level i believe for uh, mental health so they know their stuff they know their resources um and so that's really what it is and if you're like this isn't well i need to go somewhere they'll tell you where to go um if you need medications they know where to go for medications that day that you can get support right they know how to tell you about your insurance to figure out who takes your insurance to start seeing someone long term their big thing is to help you de-escalate in that moment and then connect you to long-term services, whether that's someone like Rediscover, another community mental health facility, or a private provider. Okay. So let's talk about the difference. Uh, I mean, I know there's a lot of differences between 911 and 988, but is there a, um, if someone is trying to, like, they know they need to make a call for something, but they may be at a, an extremely acute or very, very, like, high endpoint, is there a point at which somebody should make that differentiation between 988 and 911, or... Should you just call 988 if it's a mental health thing, like full stop? If you don't think that person, let's say you're calling for somebody, you don't think you can keep that person safe within the next 20 minutes, call 911 would be my suggestion. Um, if you don't feel like you can stay safe for a phone call um, to get you connected, call 911. Um, it's really up to people to gauge that. If someone's actively suicidal, you can't get a hold of them, and you're really concerned at this moment they're attempting, mm -hmm. and you're not sure, call 911. 
Nine, um, at least for my area, we connect really closely with our 911. We actually are housed in one of our police departments just for the convenience of it, um, to work closely with 911, because still 911's getting some calls that are more likely need to be 988, because not right. everyone knows about it. I would assume that that's the, that's, the, that's the overlap more now, is that mm-hmm. you know, people are calling 911 who really need 988, and as opposed to... Now, at least some, it's a little bit, un, I mean, not unusual, but I know this is a new and growing thing where there are... There are outside mental health people working with the police department directly. That's a thing that, that has come in in the last several years. We actually interviewed Chief Forbes um, about that program a couple of years ago. So, uh, our, you know, and I know that that's something that has sort of happened over that time frame since. So that's something that we in Lee Summit have a big benefit for is that we have that sort of in that in-house process. So I uh, just to rephrase and make sure I understand. So it sounds like if like if you if you think that somebody is in danger right now mm-hmm. like now call 911 if it's something that people just need somebody to talk to to work through or get access to resources 988 is the best at that point but the, like the rest of that time frame is there correct and there i mean i don't want to give too much away of what could possibly be with 988 but arizona's really set the tone for what 988 can be they have wonderful programs out there they've piloted 988 for a while in some aspects and so and like you said lee summit's wonderful in that where i think they really are trying to get to that model so i think lee summit alone will have a better connection with 911 and 98 talking to each other but for now yes if you feel immediate danger still call 911 I kind of want to get to a little bit of, of, of why this is such a such a big deal and I and I know Kirsty when I when I first kind of sat in with that youth mental health task force that, that you were on and I, and I think it's still ongoing I don't know mm-hmm. I've kind of had to step away but I I remember being a little bit surprised at all the conversations and, and it should be noted I'm like was the only one sitting at this table that had no idea about anything. Didn't, didn't have an MSW medical, or right. something. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they all had all these alphabets behind their name, and I'm just a dude with a microphone. Um, but You should make that in mind. There was a DWM. lot of talk from your side of things from, from healthcare professionals, like 911, the ER, that's not where a lot of these people need to go. So, I, so I'm curious, as to why is it important to have this separate thing? Sure. Um, I think... First and foremost, when we're in crisis, we panic, right? And so we seek those professionals that know what to do. And prior to this wide, sorry, excuse me, prior to this wide um, knowledge of mental health crisis uh, services, we assumed we went to the crisis services we have in place, which are EDs or police or 911. And I'm going to jump in real quick because I was also confused the first thing, like ED. Emergency department. Right, right. Because in my head, it should be ER. ER. Because, you know, I just watch TV. That's all I know. <laughs> well, and I think it's it, just... It did throw me off for a while. I'm like, sure. what are they talking about? Honestly, I think that's a regional thing. I'm from Kentucky, and we say ER. We, I've never heard ED till I moved to the Midwest. I actually think it's it's kind of a trauma-informed approach, is from what I've been oh, told. Okay. It's no longer a room. It's a full department full of people who are moving and grooving, right. just like and we don't call... Specialties in emergency medicine is a thing. So yes, I mean, and it's a, it's yeah. similar to, like, we don't call janitors janitors anymore. They're environmental specialists. Like, we're just being a little bit more aware of who these people are, I guess. I don't know. Um, edit that out if you'd like, but... <laughs> no, we're leaving that, because, like, anytime we can rope in something like, you know, environmental services or specialists... Absolutely. We're, we're going to go with that. It's important. <laughs> um, but I think what was starting to happen is and probably always was happening and maybe we were just more aware of it is the EDs ERs were being flooded and they don't, they're not equipped in all reality. A hospital that does not have a psych unit is not equipped to do anything other than an assessment. And a lot of these hospitals don't even have psych professionals within their e, e, emergency room department. 
Um, and so it's a, it's a robot. It's a virtual assessment coming in. Not super trauma-informed for these people that are already but struggling. you have to wait four hours for Yes, it. and you're waiting in a room. You're stripped of all of your rights. I'm not trying to scare people away from going to the ED because when it's needed, it's needed. But I think that's also the push because you're right. We were working on those flyers several years ago on here's when you go to the ER and here's when you don't. And to, to further the conversation, what Shelby was saying in terms of 988 versus 911, what we determined in terms of you go to the ED or you don't is if you've ingested, if there's a medical necessity, 911 needs to be called. I know that that's probably common knowledge, but I feel like I have to say it. If you think somebody's ingested something, if they've taken action, they've turned those thoughts, whether it's their suicidal, homicidal, or just mental health crisis into some form of action that is acutely harming themselves or someone else, we don't mess with 988, you call 911. The co-responder program, I think, is what you were talking about, but Lee Summit also has CIT officers. Not as much of a misnomer anymore. Most of the area in Kansas City is are trained, but CIT stands for Crisis Intervention Trained. They go through, I think it's 80 hours minimal of training to be able to de-escalate and differentiate between symptomology and criminology. They have the resources in place. And there's a lot of stigma around police officers too. So being able to reduce that, I know it's a little bit of a derail of your question, but That's fine. I think it's just further understanding we have crisis services for certain things. Mental health has been such a stigma. It is such a huge win that I remember when 988 got passed in Congress in 2020 and it felt like a little light in what was a fever dream of a year, right? Like that year was wild. <laughs> Any little light that Look, year was helpful. Picking one thing to celebrate is fine. Absolutely. And I think, so I, I think to, to bring it full circle, to answer your question, I think it's a matter of really teaching and, and things like crisis centers and urgent cares are opening up specific to behavioral health because we need it. I think if anything, I think mental health has always been an issue. COVID highlighted it. COVID right. worsened I gonna, it. I was going to ask this question is if this is, I mean, I, I get the opinion that it seems more like there seems more mental health concerns now, but I don't know if that's that sim like simply people are more aware of the need or the, and the capacity for, to get help in those regards. And so therefore we're, you know, diagnosing or getting ourselves help more often, but it's certainly more salient in our day-to-day -day lives that you hear about like mental health services and calling these things. And I, I, you know, when you went back to your, one of the things, my day job is in Kansas city, Kansas and homeless, uh, homeless concerns is a huge thing. And mental health goes hand in hand with that. But one of the things that we try to deal with is like, you know, the police are, and, and this is not a stab at any of our fine uniformed officers. They're kind of, they have, they're like a hammer, right? They have like, that's their tool. They only have a certain limited subset of things that they can do. And one of the biggest one they use is arrest, right? I mean, that's a thing that just is when you're dealing with the homeless, not people mm -hmm. who are in a mental health crisis necessarily, but, and having a broader set of tools, having these people who are, have this training, um, we have the, 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 mental health services being attached to all of those sorts of things coming along 988, all that really does broaden the toolkit for not only the officers in that particular case, but like for the people to reach. And that, I think that's an important um, thing to understand is like there are more tools that we we've had mm -hmm. that we can actually access. Well, 988 actually was in response to help our officers as well. But so 988 also recognized, I went to the national training for 988 and it recognized that part of the black, black Lives Matter movement was that we, there's just some people just don't trust the police. And when you add the police, even if they're the most understanding 
calm, amazing police officer, they still bring a situation that's at a 6 to a 10. And so really 9 at 8 was focused on can we go out without the police? So we actually have a mobile response component to 9 at 8 where if they, if let's say the crisis line that you contacted thinks we actually need someone to go out and assess in person. It needs more than a phone call. This person's really not, we don't feel like they're being honest or they're being vague and we just want a professional to get on, um, get on the scene. They'll contact my team right now and my team will go out in pairs for safety reasons as well as just to have two people to work the situation. And, you know, we're in common clothes. We don't have a, we don't carry a guns. We you don't, don't have show a, up in a police cruiser <laughs> with the lights flashing. We don't. We have our Hondas and <laughs> mom cars and things. And we just say, hey, here's who we are. What can we do for you? How well, can I definitely we help trust you? more if you come in a minivan. Oh, honestly, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> minivan takes things from a six to a four. <laughs> Lay back, watch a movie, yeah, get some popcorn. As we all get in. Yeah, do you have the Blu-ray player in there? Right. That's really what I want to know. I always know. have snacks in my purse. Just watch a Disney movie and Watch a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. Go through the thing. Basically, we just hired moms. Oh, but honestly how many more problems would be solved if we could just put like just application of moms on it preach right yeah i mean like if we can just talk to a good mom preach we can we can solve a lot of things, a lot of things. i'm a trauma therapist so if you talk to a good mom i don't have a job <laughs> <laughs> you just may have to change it may have to change the letters after your name yeah it's like, like professionally trained mom yeah Even if you're not yet one to like an actual biological or adopted human it's okay you can be mom yeah, I would definitely be out of a job though if everyone had love from a true. nurturing parent. That's true. We have, we have job window. security for that years. That sounds great, honestly. Let's get you out of business. Like, yeah, yeah, right. Everybody I'm here be good for parents, it. please. That's a, we get in this field knowing we're working our way out of a business every day, yeah. trying Hon to heal people. That sounds excellent to me. I want to I want to shift gears just just a little bit. And I have one more thing oh, sure. I want to add. Oh yeah, go for it. That I think is worth knowing. Nine eight eight can be texted as well as called. Yes. Which I think is important, especially for certain generations. If if family, if the kids these days, right. is that what you're telling me? Yes, but also if I'm a family member and I have a family member, if I am the concerned family member and that person is in crisis, I might escalate them by calling, but I can text and they're never going to know that I'm getting resources. <clears throat> the other piece is, you can actually practice calling nine eight eight or texting nine eight eight as long as you let them know they're not going to keep you on the phone long. But I've actually done it. My staff have done it, sitting in the room and saying exactly answering that question of what the heck's going to happen if I call letting them see that it's not a robot letting them see that it's not a scary Freudian therapist on the other end of the and phone it's, it's, it's a person either. I mean, and, it's, a, and it's not, the and it's not your, your T-Mobile call center exactly <laughs> and I'm in no way trying to say flood 988 and everybody practice but if you find yourself wondering or you find yourself with someone who's on the fence about it practice let them know it's a practice like I said it's a quick two minutes they're going to say thank you so much for calling here's what we might say I've got to get to real crises right I have to get off the phone but I think that's super important to know because it truly could be life-saving. Absolutely. Well, I think that leads to, to where I was, I was going to shift gears is, is the stigma mm. around things and a lot of the fear for, for calling it. And, and we've talked about that a lot, a lot in our group. And this is Suicide Prevention Month. We're, yep. we're almost done with the month and we're finally getting to you to talk about it. So We're busy people. <laughs> Yay us. Yes. Hold on. You're not out of a job yet. So we, we, we're okay, Nick. It's all right. But I think, you know, so much of your job is making it okay to talk about. And you just, you know, you just alluded to the fact that, you know, maybe, maybe one thing good out of the last two or three years was that we do talk about it more. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what should we be talking about? Ooh, 
You're gonna get me on. You're gonna get me on a soapbox. Yeah. Well, that was the point. <laughs> like <laughs> I should less, just leave. Less now. of us. <laughs> less of us. More of you. That's the key part of this. Uh, I could talk all day. I think the biggest thing, and if we're gonna rope it first back into COVID, because that is a super common conversation. Truly, 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 suicide prevention is very difficult over a phone and over a computer screen. I really envy, um, and and to my horn to the crisis call center workers because that's not an easy job. My team was the first to be like, let me back on front lines during COVID. And what we thought was that 2020 was going to skyrocket all these numbers. Like we are all miserable, right? It was like that fun extended like vacation for the first like six weeks. And then we were like, get me the heck out of my house. Introverts loved it. I was ready to go. Like get me back with my people. My husband's like living his best life in the pool, like zoom meeting on, um, but really what we saw was that in 2021, the numbers exploded. My team took off and we have not stopped. Like we almost couldn't keep up with it. Statistically, what were slower months were not slower. So why do you think it took until 2021 for that to happen? A number of reasons. First being in, in my bubble of the world, a lot of my referrals come from schools. If the schools are not laying eyes on these kids, right. I'm not getting referrals. And we weren't in school for a big chunk of that We time. weren't most of the year or we were in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, I think the other reason is a lot of times the triggers are within the home. So I'm not going to be honest because for all I know, the family member that's triggering me is listening through the door. So it was, it was that I think also, I think it was whiplash. I think it was, what the hell did we just go through? It was so much misinformation and this and that, that we, we didn't have a, I think 2020 caught up to us in 2021. If I'm being honest, we were in survival mode. I like obsessed over reading articles and trying to understand what the brain did. And to, to put it in layman's terms and even really for me to fully understand it, it was a lot of, we were stuck in fight or flight mode and we are not created to be that way that long. Right. We were stuck that way for like 18 months. And quite frankly, some people are still stuck that way. Right. I mean, you know, there's an analogy to, I mean, very different circumstances, but like, the, the same stuff happens to your brain when if you are in a war zone or Absolutely. a war theater where you're on that Absolutely. adrenaline all the time. Um, that So similar, and we're just not built for that. No, and you add in any sort of level. You know, I was a brand new mom in 2020, and so had I not had her, I probably wouldn't have been as freaked out as I was. She was a baby baby, and if you read any article or saw any news, shoot, I'd even open Facebook, and the first thing I'd see is 17 news articles that are just fear-mongering, you just survive. I think almost everybody just tucked their heads and tried to make it work. I'm not saying that there still wasn't suicidal crises in 2020. I'm not saying there still wasn't mental health crises. We were busy. But you just, it wasn't the it wasn't to elevation the level. that you would anticipate. Exactly. But then 2021, I genuinely think it was like coming out of that war like, zone. I'm not okay still. No. And I think, Sorry, go ahead. I yeah. think also something that I think about is, we keep ourselves so distracted, right? We have FOMO. We keep ourselves so distracted with the busyness of the world that some people had stuff going on that they were just suppressing and keeping themselves busy and distracted with events and things to go to. And then COVID happened and it shut everything down and it really gave us an opportunity to look inward and some people really didn't know what that looked like. Really, Nick and I right now are like... like um Am I calling you out? Well, but I mean, it was you know so I'm much. Saying? All we had were our our phones and our computer screens. Right. Basically, I mean, that mm -hmm. was our that was our connection. That was, and even our only way to like talk to other people that didn't live in our house was phones and computer screens. I mean, right. Like, we well, couldn't go somewhere. And, and when we called Carrie Gray or Kirsty Millar <laughs> for free therapy, we, we we did it over Zoom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to record these these podcasts. I mean, yeah, everything was just 
different. And, and everything weird. was judged. If you did leave your house, if you did choose to quarantine and make decisions and be around people, it was like the dang scarlet letter. I didn't tell people. Like I said, I had a new baby. My parents live in Omaha. They would quarantine for 14 days, literally never leave their house, get in their car in their bubble, not stop at a gas station, like do everything they could to be safe. But they wanted to meet their granddaughter. And I was like scared to tell people that right. because people would judge me. You were judged for every decision you make. You went to the grocery store and didn't lice all your oranges. Like what? You were judged. And so there was also that layer of secrecy, at least in, in my, the way that I dealt with it. And I know, you know, we had conversations. I know I talked with Shelby. I know I've talked with my team, our supervisor. I'm a stable adult. I'm a licensed professional. I have the skills and I'm struggling. Not that I'm like top tier, but I know what to do and I can't figure out how to regulate. Can you imagine how these people that don't have these skills are just spinning? So no, I, 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 I can't imagine that. <laughs> no idea what you're talking about at all. Well, and I think now we're to the point, I mean, I probably can speak for the majority of individuals, at least for myself. I'm literally like, let's look a toilet bowl. Like, get it, I'm done. Like, I can't live this way anymore. And I probably should be safer than I am, but I don't actually look toilet bowls for the I record. Mean, I mean, let's, that's a, let's that, clear. Let's clear that's that's that up. Let's clear that up. That's a different podcast altogether. <laughs> let's clear that up. Next uh, week, Kirsty Millar. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that will literally that will be the title. Of the this thing podcast, is, is so, so. if I know anybody that listens to this, not a single human is going to be shocked by that. So it's that fine. you do it's or on don't. Brand. Is that what that it's a potential she was topic. That was a question at all. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> but I think so. To uh, bring a full circle out of toilet bowls, 2021 was the first time that I think anybody realized what we went through. There's a lot of conversation in in genuinely the the youth of our world but i think that it trickles into adults that health anxiety is going to be a true diagnosis before long that there's there's a version of ptsd that we all just went through collectively right but the way that the schools have had to act oh you have a sniffle go home like i am i'm sure we all have done it like uh oh i didn't i didn't fully taste breakfast like i normally do like uh, is that the vid like do i have it right. and so i think we're really going to have to be aware of how we teach coping skills. And you don't have to react when the system changes outside. Your body reacts to that. You're just sniffly today. So there's a, a number of diagnoses that I think are going to come out of COVID. But in 2021, it was, a, it was a lot of people with, like what Shelby just said, had spent the last year being inward. And now they're back in public. The amount of social anxiety that has come out of the last couple of years in these kids some of my kids are homeschooled because they can't handle being in the crowds at school anymore. Well, and, and I, and I want to bring this back to the original question because I think we just talked about a I lot. I told of, you I would get on a soapbox. <laughs> well, we just talked a lot, a lot of, a lot of things. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to use what you said in the beginning was, it was one of the hard things is everybody's judging everybody. We judge yeah. ourselves. And I mean, so we've even heard people complain now, why are we all talking about the word anxiety all the time? We never did that until now. Yeah. And I mean, so, I want to get back to the original thing though. How do we how do we talk to ourselves about these things? How do we talk to our loved ones that are in our homes with us, our friends who are going through how do what are the conversations we should be having sure. so that we can deal with things? I think the first thing is remove the fear and remove the responsibility of their life. And I know for parents, that's really hard to hear. I brought this human into this world. Their life is my responsibility, but suicide prevention is in my title. I do suicide prevention every single day, but it's not my job to keep people alive. It's their job. It's their decision. It's my job to teach the skills and to bring that conversation up. 
we just have the conversation. And I know that that seems so simple. Like, but how do I have that? You just talk about it. How do you talk about sex? There's books out there, but do we actually read them or do we just find a way to talk about Mostly it? Mostly it's me saying it? things to my children running away. But yeah, honestly, because but it's uncomfortable. So. And I, when I give education, just yesterday I was talking to a an allied health class at one of the local schools here. And I said, there are two S's in society that people are uncomfortable with, sex and suicide. And every kid's head whipped at me. And I was like, see, I got your attention. <laughs> You're uncomfortable. But both of those, and this is the analogy I give. Both of those have life altering outcomes. Both of those have prevention efforts. We're just uncomfortable talking about them. So either we shove a book at them, we expect school to do it, we expect YouTube to do it, but we're not uncomfortable about drugs or crime or exposing them to everything else they see. So to answer your question, we get comfortable being uncomfortable and we talk about it. Have you ever thought about not wanting to be here? Personally, I think every single breathing human on this earth has that fleeting thought at some point. At some point, every one of us Absolutely. has had it. It's humanistic to wonder, who would come to my funeral? Who would really be sad if I was gone? It's 100% humanistic to feel that way. But when those thoughts start turning into planning, when those thoughts start turning into action, it's a safety issue. But also recognizing that suicide is a symptom. It's not a disorder. So it can be a standalone issue. It can be because of a quelling what we call a quelling crisis, so like a breakup. Or it can be in response to something really big that's kind of jostled my world. Or it can be something that I consistently struggle with. I have a client who I see pretty regularly, and genuinely I believe that she is somebody who will forever struggle with suicidal thoughts. I think because of the extensive trauma that she's been through, it's, a, it's been, become a defense mechanism. And the first time I said that to her, I was like, sis, I think you're always going to live with this to some degree. She took a sigh of relief. She was like, no one's ever said that to me. I said, it's no different than if you have hives as a reaction to something. It's the way that your brain has been formed. And I don't know that I'm ever going to fully take that away from you, but I'm going to give you the skills to process it. And now she can verbalize. I know this is a defense mechanism, but I don't actually That is heavy it. and frightening. Yeah. I mean, like my, my parent brain flipped into Absolutely. like, I, I want to fix everything. Yeah. But just like someone with a peanut allergy can't have peanuts, right? So we, we allow them, we give them other, other nutrients. It's well, and we give them, analogy. and we give them, you know, they carry an EpiPen. Yeah. I mean, like at all times, Absolutely. just in case they get exposed or something happens and they have a, yep. something they can do. So what therapists can do is give a metaphorical EpiPen. So that person in, in particular, I can't solve. And the thing about suicide, you know, the, the coin to it is it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, but sometimes it's not a temporary problem. Sometimes it's an extensive trauma history. And what my answer is, is I can't solve your problems. It's going to sound like an oxymoron a little bit. I can't solve your problem, but I can give you a different solution. You might have had crappy parents and I can't fix that, but I can be an adult in your world that's going to consistently show up for you and going to show you those skills to prepare you for the future. Because sometime I won't be in your world, right? I, I've, I will probably be buried in the blow up chair that's in my office at Rediscover because I just love this pro program so much. But if I'm not, I know that I've given you the skills. It's your choice if you use them as a parent, as a lay person, right? Because I'm a professional. I know these conversations. But really, truly, honestly, there's no special training that we've gone through to have this conversation. We just have confidence in having the conversation and we're human about it. There are times where I'm like, I'm really scared to ask you this question as a professional because I don't know what your answer is going to be. And the answer might have to be, we might have to talk about going to the hospital. I, I, I am still stuck on the, that the solution is coping. I mean, that just, that kind of hits differently. Mm. Cause, and, I, and I have that, 
you know, I always want the silver bullet, fix it, magic wand, fix it thing. Um, you know, learning to just listen is hard for me. It's hard to not jump in and want to fix. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my instinct is if you have a problem, we can find we can find the cure. We can fix that. Well, and let me say, it may it may be that they they are able to be cured, if that's even a word, but not everybody. Well, I think everyone has mental health. Mm-hmm. Every just like everyone has physical health, we all have mental health. And so, like you were talking about normalizing it, but also recognizing like if you have some level of anxiety it doesn't mean you're instantly going to have to be stigmatized as having anxiety Mm -hmm. disorder it doesn't mean you're going to have to go on meds it doesn't mean you're going to have to have therapy the rest of your life there's some level of normal levels of anxiety and getting coping skills to help reduce those in the moment just like if you were having a flare-up of some kind of like just a sinus infection you go to the doctor you get what you needed and then you wouldn't be on sinus medicines forever right you would one would hope. Anyway. I mean, with this right <laughs> this now is, with the Midwest. Yeah, I was like, uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know about that. For the next six months, we're all on Allegra, but <laughs> it's, a seasonal, it's a seasonal, it's a seasonal rotation of allergy medicines for yes. some of us. So. But you know, it's kind of funny you say that. There's also seasonal. Spikes. I was just gonna say that in mental health, yep. we notice in the spring and the fall, we notice a huge uptick in calls for crisis and people wanting services. I always say, people always think winter for some reason we're the busiest. No, like we, my team for the crisis team actually slows down. I yep. have to find things for them so to do. Is that, I mean, would that necessarily, I'm going to ask you to just postulate out of the wild blue here, but like, it sounds very analogous, you know, like if spring, for instance, is like we've been inside all winter and the isolation and the lack of sunshine and all the things, whatever the mix of stuff, right? I have to be around all these people. Maybe it's the family that causes me trauma, blah, 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 blah. And then like spring comes and you get to go outside again and get to like that, that exposure is very similar to the, oh, the kids are back in school and everybody's yep. back at work. Like, anxiety brain is that would that at least is possibility as an analogy or absolutely there's really i mean i've read studies i've read this and that i mean there's so many reasons it could we just know that it's happening um change in weather is one change in our environment is another um yeah like you're saying like i always notice we get a huge uptick in people coming in for intakes during fall i'm like well yeah they're thinking it's fall i gotta get the kids back in school get them their physical health get them their mental health and people just start getting back into a routine from summer break right, right. um so yeah, I don't, and like, it's just like everyone, I think every change of season, I always feel a little wonky. Like right now we're changing into fall and I feel a little off. Are we though changing into fall? It's well, like 97 no, degrees. No, we're in fall. This is fall. why my it's mental health is fall, up yeah. and down as well. Tomorrow, they, <laughs> we'll be there tomorrow for a day. And no, then like I, the weekend it's 104 again. Or then I think it's 70s all next week. So fingers crossed it stays. There we go. There we go. There's our hope. There's our hopeful message at the end. Fall's coming. Fall's coming. But I <laughs> it's think it's going to be okay. Just write it out. You'll be okay. It'll be okay. Pumpkin spice is here. <laughs> You'll be fine. Pumpkin spice has been here. I know, yes. but I, it feels feels weird I at agree. the moment when it's that hot. To I feel like that's a false coping mechanism. Fair. <laughs> I think what Shelby is saying is 100 percent accurate in that we all have mental health. And something that I want to mention that we sort of talked about earlier is it feels like we're talking about it more. And to some degree, I think we could bring in the analogy. Apparently, I'm so among my people. I love analogies. And the fact that everybody has thrown them out today just fills my soul. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if we talked about red cars today, what would we all see more of the rest of the day? Red mm-hmm. cars. So it's a little bit of that. But I also think something that I personally have observed, and I have nothing to, to support this on, so take it with a grain of salt. But previous generations were very uncomfortable with with um, emotions. And I've noticed that as as I've become a parent, I mentioned I have a toddler and I come from wonderful parents, teachers in fact, but I will never forget the first time, you know, through a screen because they don't live here. We do a lot of our interacting. My daughter was about 18 months old, having a moment, not really upset, not really frustrated, just having a moment. And my dad 
immediately was, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh, none of that. And I was like, hold up, wait a minute. You know, and the joke is, you're the therapist, mom. Of course you want emotions, but she's not hurting herself. She's not frustrated. What? Like, what do you, what do you mean? Hold up. None of that. And I called my sister and was like, figured out why I have anxiety because I can't express emotion and love you, daddy. But like, seriously. And, but now we have this new generation that is on TikTok and diagnosing themselves every single day. There's all of these dissociative identity individuals who are switching in and out of personalities and quite frankly, spreading false information. No hate, no shade to these creators, but it's not true symptomology, but it's getting views. And so I think we're in this weird shift of previous generation to current generation. So is this like the TikTok version of like women, web MD, um, kind of mm-hmm. like hypo, I think kind country. of, because I have a lot of current, I run a group every week as part of our program. If you ever really want a fun time, pop on by. Um, but I have a lot of, a lot of individuals who are showcasing symptomology that's by the diagnostic manual, not symptomology. Right. But and they're not admitting they're getting it from TikTok, but I think Shelby can probably agree with me that you can hear it and how they're saying it. Yeah, like, this is a TikTok. I yeah, or like you've seen this somewhere, or YouTube or whatever. Well, we all emulate whatever absolutely media or conversation, whatever we're doing. Absolutely, like, it can be books you read, it yes. can be social media things, whatever society. And I think the generation of the youth that we have now is a very fluid, open generation, and it's a wonderful time to be in. But I think we're in a transitional phase. I think we're shifting out of that. We don't talk about it to we almost over talk about it. And I'm really waiting for that pendulum to kind of shift back into the where, middle of yeah. happy medium. Where's that? Ha- where, where is that? Where is that medium? Spot? And I think COVID was that big, huge snowball that was like, Dink, we're all crazy. <laughs> We've all been stuck in this side all day. Well, that but. was the mirror. That was the mirror Absolutely. that we all needed to be like, yeah, we're, we're all messed up. Yes. But what you're, I, I, I think you're right. If you, it's generational. If you go to yes. like my grandparents, the, the post world war two or, you know, coming out of world war two, they didn't talk about anything. Right. You know, my my grandfather served and it took till after he died for like three or four of us to get together. And he had told bits of the pieces where he was wounded. Yeah. That's That's how we put it together. They didn't talk about it. No. And trauma lives in our bodies. So genetically that impacts you as well. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't struggle. He was told to keep it quiet. He kept trauma within him. It gets into our bodies and our genetics. Literally, it's in our genetics. And so that passes on generation to generation. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder why everyone in my family has anxiety. A lot of the people in my family have depression. And we've noticed that the diagnosis of schizophrenia tends to skip a generation. But it keeps playing prevalent within families. It's in our genes, just like physical health issues are in our genes. And suicide suicidal ideation and behaviors is no different because it's a symptom of mental health disorders. A lot of times parents don't want to say, well, great uncle Joe twice removed actually died by suicide, but little Johnny doesn't know that. But we as clinicians have to know that in that assessment. That's why we ask those questions. Have you ever lost a family member to suicide? Have you ever lost a friend? Because it's impactful, whether you know it or not, muscle has memory. So, and something I want to call attention to, because this is the first time we've used the language language is shifting. And we may have talked about this when we had our Zoom a couple of years ago, but you can never have the reminder too much. We actually no longer say and, committed. And that was too too long ago. Yeah, it's okay. COVID happened. But we no longer say committed suicide. Yeah. And I remember that was the, the, the big thing I got. I think I've said this before the last time. The big thing I got about the first time we met and we sat around this big conference table with seven or nine of us. And you said, we don't say committed suicide anymore. Mm-hmm. And you were like, you told people like me, old news people, you have to report it. Yeah. Because I went through, you know, journalism school and everything. It's like you never, ever report on a yep. suicide. I can even remember 
in the late 90s, early 2000s, in this very community, there was a suicide at one of the high schools. And I, we were doing some follow-up stories on how people were dealing with the death of a student. And we had to make the promise to the schools, we're, we're not going to mention it because we don't ever mention suicide. Yeah. And even now, when there's suicides in the schools, they don't directly say it. And I'm not shading them. They have a legal department that guides them. But the kids are pissed. I know this is how this died. We need to be talking about this. And they come angry that it's not talked about more. So it's an interesting conundrum, really, because you've got that old school. And you should, but there's also a balance. And there's tons of literature now on how to report a suicide properly in the in the journalism world. Kate Spades, Robin Williams, way too detailed. Kate Spades, they told you down to the, the type of scarf she chose to use. Right. Inappropriate. Because then you have copycats. Robin Williams, you could Google and find images. And that was and that was that was the the biggest fear. Like that yep. was the thing we were always taught is you don't do it because you don't, don't want to glamorize there, it. There's your well, there's well, your you pendulum think, swing, you, right? Right, yeah. yeah. It's it's the oversharing and we have to get back to the yep. like find the right amount of sharing as a, the as opposed to denial or you know, showbizing it, if yes. you will. And it's it's the same argument that Shelby said earlier. If someone dies of cancer, we don't shy away from that. We're only uncomfortable because no, we, we're glamorizing. We wear it. wristbands that say "F cancer" on them. Yep. I mean, that's a that's a whole thing. And so. the and the I think the fear is the glamorizing aspect, the copycat, so to speak, aspect. But shifting the language and recognizing that committed suicide really aligns with committing a crime. And olden times, that word "commit" absolutely. There's a religious base to it, and there's a criminal base to it. Both that have arguments and are valid, but are outdated. Died by it's a symptom. Just like we used to say, this one always like hurts my insides. If somebody truly completed suicide, they would say successful. Can you imagine being the family member and somebody saying it was a successful suicide? That's right. terrible. So now we say completed. The act is completed. So, But it's a shift. That came down in 2018, and I still sit through professional presentations where I'm like, oh. I've literally walked up to keynote speakers afterwards and said, thank you so much, but I really got to tell you that's not the right language. You just spoke to thousands of people in a room. Please be aware of what you're saying. Right, I'm respectful, but it's real hard. There, we went to a, a conference over the summer and I like literally raised my hand to say it and one of the speakers and one of my staff was like holding me back, like not, girl, sit down. We can tell them later, do not embarrass them. And I'm like, but it's like, it's like so wrong. Sit down. He like literally put his arm out, was like, please sit. I think that's an important thing, uh, you know, because we keep talking about what should we say, how should we mm -hmm. say, but I, I think remembering the word choices is is, yeah. imp is important, and, and how to how to bring up the subject, how to talk about that's it. It's a really good point because here I am saying just talk about it, but there's a lot of fear. And you said earlier, you know, my parent brain turned on, shaming, punishing for those thoughts. They're never going to talk to you again. So recognizing your humanistic response, and I think realizing whoever you are, to whoever it is in your world, whatever your relationship is, if you are going to make it about you, don't ask the question, find someone who will. I do this all day, every day. If I had truly had to have this conversation with my husband, I don't know that I could do it without freaking out and feeling like I have to save him. I'd probably call someone like Shelby, who I trust, who I know has the skills, but is enough removed from him. Who's not you. Who's honestly. not me. Yeah. And it's not going to be made about me. He's not going to feel like he has to protect me in the moment. And mine has a different. That's a probably a bad example because I'm in the field, but still. I don't think so. I think it's still. I think it's still important because I also think that our way of relating to things is yeah. always immediately 
what if it was from my perspective? Like, sure. I, I, like even when we try to guilt people to, to raise awareness about or raise funds for different issues, right? It's we try to make it about them. Yeah. And so that's our instinct, but you can't do that. No. The whole the whole idea is let me help you where you are. Yes. And sometimes and like and I say parent brain, but it's really just I do it with everybody. But sometimes you just have to say no, just talk to me. And I think it's important to lean into the parent aspect though, because you said it earlier, and anybody who's a parent or has that role with youth in their life, you want to jump into fix it mode because you care about them and you feel like it's your responsibility. You don't necessarily have to fix this. And I know that's hard to hear. Your kid is suicidal, you're gonna panic. It's okay. But in saying that's really scary to hear, can we talk about that? Guess what you're modeling? I just shared with you how I'm feeling and now I'm opening the floor and I'm hoping you're going to do the same back. Something though that really frustrates me and that I share a lot, I do a lot of education on suicide prevention and I, I'm trained in a couple different modalities and one in particular is for a lay person. It's QPR, it stands for question, persuade, refer. Very basic. Truly it's coined like the CPR of suicide prevention. But I have two qualms with it. Well, I have several qualms with it. I correct a lot of <laughs> the slides in terms I'm of very, the terminology. I'm shocked that you have opinions. I know. Um, but the first is that Question is just where it starts. I wish that it alluded a little bit more to a conversation because the question starts the conversation, right? And again, probably the most common thing I get asked for from laypersons all the way to medical doctors, give me a script. I don't have one. Because like I said earlier, my conversation with my husband versus a conversation with a client isn't going to be the same. I don't have the same questions. I have evidence-based questions. There's no that way it could be. No, it's two different people. And Something that's so interesting about mental health, sort of a caveat, and I'll get back on my soapbox, is that all of us in this room could have bipolar and none of us have the same symptoms. It's not the same as all of us having a broken arm and all of us needing the same treatment. No matter where you break your arm, you likely need it cast, right? All of us could be on different medication. All of us could be in different spots, but still have the same diagnosis on paper. So to expect a cookie cutter approach in treatment is ridiculous. Which I think is part of the reason why this is so hard. Is Absolutely. Because there isn't a, there's no cast. No. For mental health. It's not a quick fix though, either. But I think that we forget that there's humans behind those diagnoses. And we forget to put them in the driver's seat, even if they're kids. But to get back on my soapbox, the other qualm I have about suicide prevention trainings is that it makes it sound like it's this beautiful process. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to ask you the questions. You're going to answer them. We're going to decide what to do. Then we're going to mount a unicorn and ride off into the freaking rainbows. Like, that's not how it works. Wait, you guys don't have unicorns? I love unicorns, but I don't. I'm looking into a grant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a tough grant, but, you know, somebody's got to get it. Someone's got it. If anybody's going to do it, it's probably going to be us, to be totally fair. It's going to be Christy. It's going to be me. Um, But... It's not that simple, particularly with somebody who's struggling and the stigmas that are in place in in this society. And also, you add a layer of their kids. I hate to break it to you, but I got informed the other day that I have a Facebook, which means I'm not cool. That hurt a little bit to my soul. (laughs) Um, But I got got a couple points back yesterday. I had some energy drinks some girl was excited about. So she came up and literally told me. I will say, you you do, at a certain age, shut up, Nick. Um, You stop caring about the cool part. Oh, I don't care. No, I mean, like, you just actually, sometimes you can go, Damn right, I'm not cool. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like I have reached that point too because, like, uh, I have teenage children. Yeah, and and I'm beyond now. I also hate Facebook. So, I mean, to be fair, they're right, but uh, you know, it's the yeah. I'm just gonna embrace the not absolutely. Cool but the point of that is, is they don't come to us because we're likely not the person that they're going to approach. They're gonna go to each other. We're super lame. Absolutely, and I think there's this fear of I'm gonna get in trouble. 
you know, there's even this old school and sorry if this is a punishment either of you do as parents, but I don't agree with take as a professional, don't take your kid's phone away. There are so many ways to, and I get it. Well, they're grounded or whatever, but that's a lifeline. We just spent the first half of this podcast talking about three numbers. If they have no way to call those three numbers, what's going to happen? Right. It's not like they have a landline they can go get. Absolutely. So turn off the apps, turn off the internet. I don't care what you do, do something, but taking the phone away is no longer a punishment because now we have kids who are struggling. It's a sentence. Yes. And it's also kind of an oxymoron. We're telling you to talk. We're telling you to reach out. We're telling you to ask for help, but I'm going to remove the device that allows you to do that. What? It sounds like too, you're saying that we have to be okay with the fact that we might not be the person yeah. they go to. Absolutely. And that's a and that's hard, hard thing. Yes, and I will is. even say that even like my wife and I approach that thing differently Yep, and it's different kinds of hard. Yep. Mine's only two, so I haven't really had those conversations yet. But my husband and good I, luck. Yeah. My husband and I even <laughs> yeah. parent very differently. I, I will say that your time will come. Oh, I'm. <laughs> she's a tinier version of I me. Mean, you work. You work with these people on a professional level, so you see this happening. Yeah. But it's you know it it hurts when it's your kids. <laughs> Absolutely, it hurts when it's your kids. But I also think that's a stigma that society has created is that we have to go to our parents, and even the most stable homed kids maybe have a better relationship with their pastor or their baseball coach. And we shame that. Well, you didn't come to me. What does it matter? You went to an adult. And I, it's a hurtful thing as a parent. Like my, it's an ego I, I will say this. I would say my complaint with the kids has always been, it's like, you have to go to somebody. Absolutely. And we, you know, we try to make ourselves available, but it's understand. It's like, but yeah, the, the issue is like, we, you're trying to do this on your own yeah. without talking to anyone and, and it's yeah. a weird cross and you're an between child. So yes. Please, yes. Please do go get help. Yes. It's a weird cross between ego and over sense of responsibility. Yes. Right. We want to be the one to fix it. We feel like we should be the one. I mean, we, Absolutely. You know, we give the stigma to ourselves. Hey, man, paying for therapy. If is they don't go it. to me for help, then I broke them. <laughs> right. And then it's my fault. But what's interesting that you say that is there on the flip side of the responsibility. A couple of years ago, there was a, a local high school who had several um, losses by suicide in their school and asked their senior class had been impacted the most. And so they asked me and a couple of my team members to come out and we kind of (laughs) got to be totally transparent. We got tossed into the ringer hard and my team, they like walked in and I was like, here's what we're doing. And they were like, really? But they, (laughs) so they divided this senior class into three large groups and we had conversation. And the group that I had was adamant. I'm 18. I'm an adult. I don't need you. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not angry almost like I'm not going to come to an adult I'm the adult I can handle my friends that's a hard spot to be in because legally you're right kiddo you are an adult but mentally no you're not you're still in high school it's not your responsibility to shoulder that person's life but that's how they were feeling and they were like he was the kid in particular was up and literally yelling at me but I just let him like you're angry be angry it's misdirected at me but it was this I could have done something. I should have done something. I'm their friend. That is way too much responsibility for these kids. For anyone. For anyone. Because understanding, like I said, that training, another qualm I have with it, truly, the first slide, this dang thing. I I like it when you get animated. I'm a a hand. You start beating that mic. I know, I'm Italian, so my hands just go moving when I I talk. I'd like to see her at a pulpit, just, you know. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. You should see me at training. I, like, pace the room. People probably think I'm, like, too much caffeine that day, but... It starts with question, like I said. It moves on to persuade. And the first slide, the title of the slide in a training, I'm getting angry, I'm getting loud, is how to persuade someone to stay alive. 
And I am a train the trainer. I can't edit their slides, but I verbally correct that every time I train it. How to persuade someone to get help is your role. When I say that, I literally picture like gripping on a leg. Please don't go, right? Like that's how that feels. That is terrifying. I mean, sometimes that's actually how that feels. Absolutely, that's how it feels. But persuading someone to get help, that you would not be persuading someone to cast their own arm if they broke it. You'd be driving them to the emergency room and trusting the professionals. But because there is this stupid large stigma around our brains, they don't come to people like us until we're in panic mode or until we've tried everything else. You know, Kevin Hines says it best. It's a brain injury. That's all it is. And everybody has trauma, y'all. We just lived through 2020 and 2021. And not only was COVID in that year, we watched our world fall up. We watched our country fall to pieces in a time that we should have been united. We fell to pieces in so many ways. We were traumatized and stuck in our homes with no way to process it, but a screen. Which while technology is awesome. It's a catch 22. Yeah. Yeah. It's also technology is awesome. Yeah. It's a thing. Well, as we kind of wrap things up here, I I know you guys are going to have to like get to real jobs or something soon. This is more fun. (laughs) It is more fun. (laughs) So we are talking about it more. It is, it is out in conversation more. And I want to, I want to, ask you this specifically because you you work with you work with kids you're you're with our school systems and our all of our all of our kids are we doing better is all this conversation better are we making headway um i think so or can we even judge that I don't know. That's why I hesitate because I'm over here like looking at Shelby like, do I know a specific statistic that I can rattle? No, it's all right. You can just, you can just. And I don't even know that. I don't even know that stats is what I was looking for. No, I I know. I I just, you know, I, again, it's, it's the parent in me. Are we doing any better? (laughs) I think my opinion, and I'm curious what Shelby's is too. So I'm going to toss it at her too, but I feel like we're over in that pendulum and I know the listeners can't see me like swinging my hand, but. I think we're in Just this. imagine Brian Busby for the last 30 <laughs> years on Channel 9 talking about weather. I just think that we are in a space where we are in a very fluid, very transitional time. And I think that we have a lot we can do. I think we've always done better because we're talking about it more. But I think we have to stop blaming things and not to take us back to 2017. But man, that Netflix show really ticked a lot of people off and I don't think people understood it was a fictional novel that somebody chose to make but because it was an uncomfortable topic we panicked we don't panic about the gang movies that come out like you know I'm back on my soapbox I think that we always will have room to grow but I think that lives are consistently being saved I think changing a 10 digit number an 11 digit number even to a 10 digit number a 10 digit number lots of numbers I'm to over three. here trying to count it's to okay. three is impactful. I think educating on what resources are out there is impactful. I think we have a long way to go in terms of financial barriers for services. That's a whole different conversation. Oh boy. That's a whole, yeah. yeah we'll, a diff- we'll bring you back for the access that's conversation. Yeah. That's, a that's a whole different podcast. Honestly. Cause I, I, so yes, I think we are doing better in maybe like phase one, right. But phase three would be, we can access mental health in a way that we really haven't. Like Shelby said, we're professionals. She and I've been in this field locally together I think our years combined are probably 12 if we were to combine our years I still don't know all the resources locally I'm learning new resources every day I've been running a suicide prevention program for seven years and I still don't know everything within 30 miles can you imagine trying to navigate that when I'm activated for someone over crisis I do see a lot more people calling and that to me says we're talking about it more I started in this right before COVID 
during COVID and after COVID, and I do see more people calling and asking for help. I'm over the access point at my agency, and I see more people coming in and asking for help. The weird shift is, were we ready as mental health providers to take on the increase in need and the increase in conversation? And I don't think we were. Mm -hmm. COVID also had a negative impact on this field. We had a lot of people leave the field. We had a lot of people leave the field. It was too heavy. It was a lot. I mean, people had their own reasons. We lost a lot of people who were community providers to private practice so they could go telehealth and feel safer in their own homes, right? Which, again, some people don't like telehealth therapy. They want in-person. There's fewer in-person therapists. So we've seen this weird shift, and I'm so happy that more people are asking for help. That makes me really happy and really like, hey, we did something big as a society, but was the mental health field ready? Unfortunately not, and I'm so excited to hear more about resources. I think that's why it's hard to keep up with the resources because there's so many people doing their own thing to make a huge difference, which brings me so happy, like, brings me happiness and makes me so committed to this field still, or forever will be. Um, so, yeah, I think the answer really is I think we are talking about it more. I think more people are reaching out. I think now we just have to focus really, and my effort is, like you said, financial reasons, but, like, how do we get them into health beefed up more to yeah. be prepared to take on? So, for me, I think it's definitely we're, we're doing it. Whether the conversation is misguided or what have you, people are having it, people yep. calling and asking, can we get help? How do we get help? I do so. think, though, the next wave, and probably a whole other podcast as well, something that we didn't talk about, and I won't take it too far, that Shelby just mentioned that COVID did, is we have, I'll give you perspective, Rediscover has, I think, 200 licensed positions posted over this last year. We've hired 14. We can't fill positions. My, my, uh, my math says that's not enough. It's not. That's, and so I'm bad at math and I'm still going to agree that that's, people that's are, people are talking good. and are we doing better in the conversational piece? Yes, but that's absolutely correct. I didn't even think about that. We're drowning and people are leaving. And the reality is, is people are going to continue to leave because we can't fill positions. That and so you're doing more work. People are coming in saying, I want help. And then we're not prepared to give them the help they need. And then people are going to say this mental health stuff was baloney. It wasn't worth it. It's not, there's no providers. It's all just bad. And it's not. We just need more providers. Yeah. We need more people who want to get back into this field. But it's also a hard ask. It's yep. not an easy field to be in. It's well, and you make hard. so much money doing it. Also. <laughs> the field is so <laughs> well funded, and <laughs> everything is great. Yeah, it's just it's the fun. grants for the unicorns. Just the really unicorn just grants. Get, if we get yeah. those, we can get the. If green we'd unicorns. stop buying the Audi minivans, we'd probably <laughs> yeah. be able to switch. Go back to Hondas. You'll be you'll be better. Back to Honda well, minivans. I think that's an interesting point, though. That that not only are we learning society right how to how to talk and how to do better at it that, that the professional side of it has room for growth as well mm -hmm. and not even just and the it's hiring. A thing that we're learning more yes and not even just that we're hiring you know i'm sitting here thinking we've added mental health professionals and i say we as a society not rediscover specifically however rediscover has been a part of that into the schools literal licensed therapists because transportation is an issue great we've handled as much of the youth population as we can to some degree there's financial barriers again a whole longer conversation but what does that leave for people like the four of us in this room that are blue collar that have to take a lunch break to go to therapy or have to take an hour of PTO or a half of day because I'm also thrown off from being in therapy. I have that youth program that I run, but I also have an adult program. And what I've always worked to target and COVID derailed me on that too, is that us, I have insurance. My copay is 80 bucks. I don't, we, I make so much money. I can afford yeah, that, just but gobs. realizing that you, we may not That's be a able to, to a lot of people. Absolutely. And so 
It's almost like we solve one problem and five more problems. It's like whack-a-mole. Honestly, <laughs> we've had all of these problems and we're just be able to like, they become more acute because we're, we're fixing, like we make one part better and then it like the highlight goes right. to the next thing in the chain. And we went through a terrible and are still going through, but in my mind, COVID is correlated to lockdown, a total global pandemic that shifted every resource. We lost money. People lost jobs. Like so much has changed. Like Shelby said, people are scared to come back to work. Or they they need to make more money because chicken now costs seventeen dollars for four pounds. Like I'm about to grow some chickens in my backyard or something because you just can't keep up with everything. So I think it's full circle. Are we doing better? To bring it back to your question, I think we're doing better in terms of talking about it. But I think we have a really long way to go until it's accessible like it needs to be. Well, normally as I as we wrap things up, I say that'll wrap us up and, and we'll be done. But I think the better thing to do is is um, do this more. Yeah. Will the conversation will go on. No, I don't know. I I, I, took, I took away my words. You ruined the my, whole thing. My words. You ruined the entire interview with your closing. Now, wrap no, it no, up no, and get my words to close and to wrap it up, but I'm not going to say that to everybody. We'll talk to everybody next time.